The bottom dropped out one day for Ella. She is doing pretty good. The family pays the bills, lives in a good-sized home, drives nice cars, and enjoys expensive vacations every year. Sure, life is busy, maybe even hectic at times, but she was managing. Her routine is go, 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 and do, do, do. And in the whirlwind, frantic pace of her life, she's caught up in the cycle of being caught up in the tyranny of the urgent until one day, in a single moment, the phone rings. It's bad news. Life has been interrupted. Her status quo and the storms have gathered. Things that mattered an hour ago suddenly seem insignificant. This is a defining moment. Where do you look when the noise and the chaos surrounds you? What has your attention and focus? Hey, good morning. Um, Lisa Mueller? Is that it? Did I get it? All right, great. Blonde, Lisa? Is that it? Okay. Hey, good morning. Glad you're here. Uh, I just dashed here from uh, Pleasant Hill. We had a great service there, and so I'm looking forward to uh, what's going to happen here this morning. So um, as you listen to that video, maybe you could relate to that in some form or fashion. Maybe that was you. Maybe you could say, man, there have been uh, times or maybe a significant time in my life when it seemed like the bottom dropped out. Everything that could go wrong what went, did go wrong. Um, and so maybe you can relate to that. And as I said, maybe you can relate to that more than once. Uh, maybe it was your health, relationship that went bad. Maybe it was something you did or you didn't do anything at all. Somebody else did something and it affected you and your family in some way. Lost a job, whatever it might be, um, we probably can all relate this morning. And so this morning's question uh, that we're going to consider is, what do you do when the bottom drops out? What do you do when you're just kind of walking through life and things are fine, or you think they're fine, and the bottom drops out, like this guy in Colorado. You know, what do you do then? When you think about the bottom dropping out, you could define that in a lot of different ways, because let's face it, like what's catastrophic for one person might just be an inconvenience for another person. What's really a huge deal for this person, this person's personality, their gifts, their abilities, whatever, it's just not that big of a deal. But regardless of however you want to define the bottom dropping out, we could probably agree that it's something um, that changes the trajectory of your life, hopefully not permanently, but over a, a course of time, it changes the, tra the trajectory of your life, or it's something that is just completely unexpected. We're going to see something unexpected here in just a few minutes. Well, the truth is, this happens to all of us. So there's nobody immune from these kinds of things happening. Take a look at this scripture. Here's some universal truths. This is how we know this happens to all of us. Jesus says that God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If we go on and look at Matthew 7, Jesus is talking about a, a person who builds on a solid foundation, constructs their life or a building on a solid foundation. And one of the takeaways from that lesson is this, it applies to life, is that eventually the rain's going to come down. It just does. And when the rain comes down fast enough, over a long enough period of time, the streams rise, and when the winds blow, they beat against that house. He goes on to tell his disciples later on that in this world, you will have trouble. And so there's no surprises here, okay? 
We live in a fallen world and stuff happens. Now, if you know Jesus, if you surrender to Jesus, he's your savior and you have a good walk with him, here's another reality that is going to happen. And that's this, is that you have an enemy who does not want you to walk with Jesus. He doesn't want you to be uh, transparent with other people. He doesn't want you to be intimate with Christ. He doesn't want you to be in the Word. He doesn't want you to be here this morning. He doesn't want you worshiping. He doesn't want you um, reading God's Word. And so we've got this enemy prowling about, always poking and prodding, okay? We're not subject to him, but it's a reality. So in light of all that, this morning's question, I said, is what do you do when the bottom drops out in light of all that? Maybe that's not the question at all. Maybe the real question is, what do you do when the bottom drops out? Not what do you do when the bottom drops out. What do you do when it does? So in this series, we're talking about being purposeful uh, about people who we interact with on a regular basis. And as you do interact with people on a regular basis, some might be weekly and monthly, some maybe only see a couple times a year or something like that. But as you do interact with people regularly over the course of time, when we say be purposeful about your interactions with them, maybe it's this. It shifts from talking about sports, although keep doing that, but maybe it shifts from just that to telling some of your story. There's times when you tell your story. Now, you're probably not going to have an opportunity to open up and just tell the whole thing all in one. I mean, if you do, great. Take that opportunity and go with it. But most likely, it'll be just little tidbits here and there. I've got a, a friend, Matt, who uh, I've been friends with for many years now, who is not a follower of Jesus. He was my son's high school football coach. Great guy, love him, has no time for Jesus. But he knows my story because we spent enough time sitting in bleachers and at track meets and at football games and uh, eating pizza and whatever that he knows the story. And so you just share little snippets of your story as time goes by. But here's the deal with a testimony. Here's the power of a testimony is this. You can't argue with it. You can debate um, Bible translations with me. You can debate scripture interpretation you can debate whether this was an authentic move of the Spirit or whether it was just something you came up with on your own because you're emotional or what. You know, you can debate all that stuff. But what you can't debate is that a person's life has been changed because of the relationship with Jesus. You can't debate, I once was blind, but now I see. I was lying by a pool for 38 years. I couldn't walk, but now you can see. I am walking. You can't debate that. And that's the power of a testimony, okay? Here's the way I started describing that uh, probably 20 or 25 years ago, came up with this, uh, this uh, thought is that this, is that uh, the gospel, a changed life, is much like a science class, maybe in high school or something. And in that, that class, you've got two components of that. You've got your uh, lecture days where you learn theories and principles, and then you've got lab days. And I always kind of preferred the lab days because they get to blow stuff up then, right? <laughs> but you've got, you've got to have the theory and the principle. You've got to have that stuff. But then this is where it becomes real. And the gospel is real. It really changes life. And life is lab day for the gospel. Life is lab day for the gospel. It's the proving ground. It where it's, it's where it gets tested out. It gets demonstrated. Most of us could describe a time in our lives 
when the bottom dropped out, as I said earlier. Probably uh, if I asked, any, any number of folks could come up here and, and share a time when the bottom dropped out. But I've invited a friend this morning uh, to share with us this morning a little bit of his story. And so uh, this is Jeff. Welcome Jeff as he comes. All right. We're going to start real slow, okay? Just tell us who you are. Uh, my name is Jeff Olson, um, and I'm from Bremerton, Washington originally. I moved out here to Iowa to go to medical school at Des Moines University. Uh, I met my wife out there, and uh, we've been married almost nine years now. And we have two kids, seven and almost seven and uh, five. So, good. How many years have you been married? Do you know that number? Uh, nine, coming up. Okay, in, good job. Uh, end of May. Good job. Good answer. All right. Hey, tell us about a time in your life where the bottom dropped out. Yeah, so I think my story kind of starts, um, gosh, about eight years ago when I really kind of started to look at my testimony. Um, me, myself, I, I heard a testimony where it impacted me, and I was like, man, I should talk to that guy. Eight years ago, and I did not talk to that guy. And then, you know, obviously the bottom fell out of my life. Um, and this is just a recent story. I mean, this is really something that has um, impacted my life over the last uh, about year, and really more drastically in the last four months uh, is my story. And um, you know, I kind of related to we talked about Matthew 14 when um, uh, you know Peter steps out into the water. I think my story starts actually a little bit before that. Like you know, I was I was that disciple. I was I thought I had the good life. I mean, I was I was a doctor, had a good good career, good finances, uh, thought I had a good family, um, and, you know, it, uh, those were all good things, and I was even actually part of a church plant, and so, you know, I was, I was doing the right work, you know, I thought, and, but I had compartmentalized my sin so much that I just, I, I just kept over here, and I kind of kept my God life over here and my sin life over here, and, you know, it, it, it came crashing down. And so, you know, I, I, I relate to myself as a disciple stepping into that boat and starting to cross that water, mm -hmm. that lake. And, and, I mean, you had to have seen the storm clouds. And, mm -hmm. and I kept rowing. I kept rowing myself mm -hmm. and kept trying to do it myself. And um, eventually that storm kept brewing and brewing and brewing. And so I'm um, sorry for the kind of rated R version of this, but, uh, you know, this is, you know, this doesn't get talked about a lot in church, um, but, you know, my addiction of porn, uh, masturbation, um, those are huge in the church. Those, those things can, I mean, really uh, impact a lot of guys, especially, but now a lot of females in the mm -hmm. church, and uh, that, that impacted my life. Uh, not on top of that, my, my stress, my anxiety, my depression with, uh, being a doctor, um, you know, a lot of times people don't think that doctors go through all that stuff, but we do. We, we go through that, and we go through heavy, heavy stuff a lot of times. And so that kind of just, you know, cycled my, my, my addiction. Um, that led into more storms. You know, my storm started to go from just, you know, porn to, um, you know, I started having um, an emotional relationship with a, a nurse, and I started having a texting relationship. It turned into you know, more, uh, more explicit messages. And, um, you know, through this all, I had, I had uh, confessed to my wife about these issues and things like that. And, you know, 
she, she has been really, really rock solid for me. Um, and, and I'm grateful for her and I'm thankful for the Lord for her. But, um, you know, I, the confession was, was great. You know, I, I had a repentant heart and, you know, the things that I just didn't change my, my actions. I, you know, I, I kept denying the fact that I needed help. And, and so that storm kept brewing and brewing. Eventually it did turn into um, adultery um, and an affair. And um, again, I, I admitted that to my wife and um, it, you know, she finally gave me the ultimatum. She gave me the ultimatum and said, if this happens again, you know, we're gonna get a divorce. And, you know, this is where I felt like I was Peter stepping out onto the water. Like, I, you know, I stepped out, looked at Jesus, seeked help. Yeah. So, so that yeah, yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. So that yeah. gets me to my next question. Yeah. So, what did surrender look like? Sounds yeah. Like that's where you were going. Yep. So, you know, I stepped out onto the water, and you know, I think it was like two or three months. We had done counseling. We had really invested back into our family, our church, um, and by this time, we had kind of left our church plant and kind of had found a, a healthier, you know, life of, of church at that point, um, and you know, it was all going good. You know, I thought I had it still under under control. Still didn't surrender it, though. Didn't mm -hmm. surrender it. And so, you know, unfortunately with sexual sin especially is that there's a lot, there's what's called a soul tie. And that soul tie is, can get deep and, and it's a, it's a, that's a hook into your, into your life. And, um, you know, that, that triggered me again. You know, that, that same, unfortunately, that same girl ended up texting me again and, you know, it was during Thanksgiving time of last year, and, you know, my wife this time found it versus me confessing it, and a uh, big arguing match, screaming match. Um, she had called some of the elders that, um, uh, people that had mentored us to come over, and basically she kicked me out of the house. And, you know, that's, that's my sinking point. You know, that's mm -hmm. where I took my eyes off of Jesus, and I just started sinking. Mm -hmm. And... So I was out of the house, um, not very long. I mean, it was a day or two, and I just cried out, and I was like, "Lord, what, what do you want me to do? I need help." And He said, "What are you willing to do to, to follow me? What are you willing to lose to follow me?" Mm -hmm. um, and that losing point was, you know, selfishly, I said, "I don't want to lose my wife, and I don't want to lose my kids." Um, but beyond that, I'll lose my career, my job. You know, I was I had a part owner in a in a, a clinic, and I had a really great career, and I had a house, and you know all this student loan debt, and I was like, Lord, I'm going to give that to you, mm -hmm. uh, and that's the moment I actually kind of reached out to you about Sheepgate because I don't know how many know Bob is involved with Sheepgate, which is an adult teen challenge of the Midlands. It's over in Colfax, and you know that, it, you know at first that place is, you know, kind of tailored towards drugs and alcohol. Um, but sexual sin, I think, is huge. And it, and it plays a huge role, not even just in a in drug addict's life, but it does just in people who have sex addiction. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to Bob, and I was like, what does this look like for me? Um, and he said it was a year commitment, a year commitment, inpatient treatment. It's, um, you don't live at home, uh, you, get to, you do get to see your family, but you are focused on who Jesus is. Mm -hmm and how, how he can impact your life and turn your, your life around. And that's, you know, that's when I felt like God reached down, uh, Jesus reached down, grabbed me out of that water, and, and pulled me out um, mm -hmm. of that.
rock bottom. Amen. So. Amen. I appreciate you uh, coming and sharing. That's uh, not hard to sit in front of a bunch of people you don't know uh, and share your story. Thank you there for you doing go. that. Jeff will be around after service if you want to talk some more. Appreciate it. Thank you. You think about the, uh, the bottom dropping out, uh, we are going to look at a pretty familiar section of scripture from Matthew chapter 14, all right? So here's the setup. Jesus is, uh, uh, sends the, or he feeds the crowd, and he sends the disciples away, and he goes off to a place to, um, to pray, and we'll pick it up in verse 24. It says, meanwhile, the disciples... We're in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Have you ever experienced something that uh, came your way, and you weren't expecting it, and afterwards, or maybe in the middle of it, you said, I was not, I didn't see that coming at all. I don't, well, this isn't one of those times. Uh, because you get out on the Sea of Galilee, and you can guarantee that there will be wind and there will be waves. Now, on this particular occasion, there was no storm, but it was still windy, and the wind created the waves, okay? So the conditions that the disciples found themselves in, the conditions weren't a surprise, but there's something else that was, especially to Peter. There was something else that was a surprise, and that's what we want to get to. So let's read uh, Matthew 14 uh, and get the big picture, get the context. It says, about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I'm here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord! He cried. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. I've got um, about four observations from this, and I can only give you one for the sake of time. And so that really pains me to leave some good stuff on the ground, but you, you read this and pray uh, on your own, but as I've read and prayed through this the last couple weeks and studied it and just said, Lord, what do you want to draw out of this? What does Radiant Church really need to hear? What do your people need to hear? What do I need to hear? What's the one thing here? He drew my attention to this one point. Now, as a caveat, what I'm going to share today is not the main point because it's the main point of this story. But it's the main point for today. As I said, there's other lessons in this uh, that we can learn that I believe the Lord wants to uh, give to us. Uh, but I can only give you one today. But it's a main point today because it's often overlooked. It's easily overlooked. And here it is, okay? When you find yourself in a situation and the bottom's dropping out, this is really basic. This is Christianity 101. When you find yourselves in, in a situation the bottom's dropping out, um, you need to take time to see Jesus in the situation. Yeah. Now, I know when I say that, I know a couple things. 
That's not like this Holy Spirit moment. Nobody's probably lightheaded after hearing that, right? I get it. That's real basic. I, absolutely. Christianity is basic. I also realize a, a second thing that when somebody, when the crap has hit the fan in your life and somebody comes by and says, hey, brother, you need to see Jesus in it, all you want to do is hit that person. <laughs> right? I mean, okay. Brother, what you need to do is you need to let go and let God. Come on now. Y yes, that's 100% true, but a Bible verse, that is not what I need right now. So I realize those two things. This is a super basic and... Um, you know, it can be a little annoying, maybe even irritating, okay? So if you'd allow me to, i take a couple minutes here to flesh this out, and there's a lot more here than what I just described, okay? Make it maybe street level, make it real, make it uh, applicable to your life. So let's look at verse 31. It says this, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed Peter. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt? And I love the way the Passion Translation uh, puts that one little piece of that verse. The Passion Translation says this. It, it uh, records Jesus' statement as, why did you let doubt win? Almost personifies doubt as the enemy. Hey, uh, can you just see Jesus, the, the chosen Jesus, right? The Jesus who looks like Aaron Rodgers. Can't you just see that Jesus saying, man, Peter, just, just gently, lovingly, man, wh why'd you let doubt win? As if it occurs to Peter, maybe, that, oh, you know, I don't have to let doubt win. Never thought of that. Never thought of that. I don't have to let doubt win. So how did Peter express doubt in this uh, story? How did he express doubt? How did he demonstrate a lack of faith? I mean, after he did get out of the boat, right? So here's a conversation for another time. So Peter did get out of the boat. So is that Peter demonstrating faith? Or is that Peter being Peter, a little impetuous, just, come on, man, let's get it, let's get out and go? I don't know. We, we can talk about that one another time. But the fact is, he did get out, okay, and he did take a, a, a couple steps at least. The most common response to how did Peter demonstrate doubt is this. He demonstrated doubt by taking his eyes off of Jesus, and then it began to sink. You've all heard that, and that's 100% accurate. I think that's totally biblical, totally right on. We take our eyes off of Jesus, we begin to sink. We, we could look at all kinds of scripture that verifies that, all kinds of examples. We have examples out of our own lives that would, uh, would verify that. Okay, But I think Jesus' statement, his question, is tied to something else related to Peter. And here's why. Jesus, being God, certainly knew how this thing was going to transpire. Certainly knew that, uh, yeah, come on, Peter, what was going to happen? Peter was going to, you know, end up sinking because God is, Jesus is God. At the same time, there's no biblical precedent for anybody walking on water other than Jesus. I mean, look at Scripture. There is nowhere anybody walks on water. There's precedent for um, parting waters. There's precedent for walking through the water. There's even a biblical precedent for water coming out of a rock or finding a, a river in a desert. There's precedent for lots of things, but nowhere in Scripture does anybody walk on the water 
except Jesus. In fact, Job says this. Job says, God alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. God alone does that. God alone walks on water. But just because it never happened doesn't mean it can't happen. And we see this all the time. We see it. We see it in our Wellsprings ministry. If you minister to others, counseling, you see it all the time. There are generations of a family who don't know the Lord. Or maybe they do know the Lord, but they've got generations of sin, of deep-seated sin. Emotional hurt, chemical addiction, patterns of behavior, things that are harmful. And it's never been done in those families. No one's ever surrendered to Jesus. But one day, somebody right here surrenders to Christ. And from that point forward, that family is different. They're redeemed. So just because it never happened doesn't mean it can't. Maybe you're the one in your family, in your generation, who surrendered to Jesus. Maybe it's a grandfather, somebody you know who's, who's currently living. Maybe it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Maybe it's yet to come. But just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean uh, that it can't. All right? It was the first time, after all, that somebody parted the water. It was the first time that somebody walked through the water. It was the first time in your family lineage that somebody surrendered to Jesus. Well, here's the part that gets overlooked, I think, where Peter lacked faith, expressed doubt, where we can often do that too, and it's a focus for today. Verse 28, Peter called out to him very simply, Lord, if it's really you. Lord, if it's really you, Tell me to come to you walking on the water. And here's the point. Peter didn't recognize Jesus because Peter wasn't looking for Jesus. Now, I don't say that to beat up an apostle. That's probably not a good idea. I don't mean that to highlight Peter's failures. and you know, We're not trying to um, highlight the failure of apostle. We want to learn from an apostle. We want to receive what the apostle has to, to teach us. Okay? Peter wasn't expecting him, and understandably so, to be fair to Peter. I mean, he's a fisherman. He spent his whole life on the water. How many people do you think he probably ever saw walking out there? I would venture to say zero. And so, you know, he's got some precedent for that. So it was a little different. Regardless, he wasn't looking for Jesus in the circumstance. And when Peter says, if it's really you, he puts himself in some company that you and I probably don't want to be part of. People who question his identity, which is exactly what Peter was doing. Peter was saying, hey, uh, I need you to do something, Jesus, to verify your identity. They thought it, the disciples thought it was a ghost. And Peter's saying, if it's really you, Lord, yeah, then here's a test. Have me come out of the boat and walk on the water. That's where Peter lacks faith. That's where we can lack faith, where we can begin to doubt. Well, as it turns out, this wasn't the first time that Jesus heard uh, those if questions. Hit that next slide, Carol. Here we go. There's a father whose son was possessed, and he says to Jesus, hey, if you can do anything, have compassion on us, help us. Contrast that with a leper who came and knelt before Jesus, said, you certainly can make me clean if you're willing. There's a big difference there. There's an enormous difference between are you able and are you willing. 
And if you know Jesus, if he's your Savior, you know he's able. You, he's probably proven himself able in your life. You could get up here and tell a story about Jesus being able in your life and the times that he was willing, okay? So you know the answers to those questions. And back to Jesus' response. You have so little faith. Jesus said, why did you doubt? I love that because there's a statement there and there's a question. You have so little faith. That's a fact. I mean, when Jesus says it, it's, it's a fact. You have so little faith. And the question is, why did you doubt? Why did you let doubt win? And I have to believe that as Peter continued walking with the Lord, as we continue reading the Gospels, we see different things that Peter does or doesn't do. I have to believe that that question would come to Peter many times again. Why did I do that? Why did I deny him? I saw it coming. Jesus told me it would happen. And I did it. Why? Ask those why questions. So when I say take time to see Jesus in the circumstance, when you get down to kind of street level here to where we can apply all this, when I say take time to see Jesus in the circumstance, uh, here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about any sort of mind exercise or positive thinking or um, mental gymnastics or bending reality to try to fit a, a, a belief. I'm not talking about any of that. That's none at all. I'm not talking about altering my memory of the circumstance, say something that happened back here. I'm not talking about you know, trying to wedge my mind into believing something you know, that didn't happen. So not altering the circumstance, but I'm talking about seeing the circumstance as it really was. And here's the truth. When whatever happened, Jesus was there. Jesus was there. We run into this all the time in Wellsprings where uh, somebody describes a, a, a hurtful thing in their life, uh, maybe a relationship or something they did that they shouldn't have done, or but there's some sort of an incident that hurt began to grow. And let's go back to that and let's pause and let's pray and let's ask Jesus to show you where he is in that. And when he does, he speaks. He's there. So again, we're not altering our memory of the past. We're just seeing the picture as it clearly is. Because Jesus is omnipresent. He was there. He was there way before any of us were conceived or even thought of. He was there when we were born. He was there at every moment of our life. And if we miss those, then we miss the fact that nothing happened to us that Jesus didn't see that he wasn't part of. Now, the only person who wants us to see it the way we typically see it, void of Jesus, the only person who wants us to see it that way would be the enemy. Because he knows when Jesus shows up, it's over. His game's over. All right? But that Jesus and the enemy can't exist in the same space at the same time. God is omnipresent. Here's a well-known account from John chapter 1. Nathaniel meets Jesus, and you know his famous uh, words. You know, how can anything good come from Nazareth? With, instead of being offended by it, Jesus actually kind of seemed to dig that. Like, hey, there's a guy who's real, a guy who's transparent. Now I like this guy; he's authentic. Nathaniel said, "How do you even know me?" Well, when you were under the fig tree way back there, I was there. And the Bible doesn't say this. But I have to believe that Nathaniel's going, really? I didn't see you there. 
Well, he was there. That's the same idea that I was just describing to you. Whatever took place in your life, he was there. Whatever's taking place now, he's there right in the middle of it. Good circumstances, bad circumstances, whatever it might be. So what do we need to do with all this that I've been talking about? Well, we need to be very, very purposeful about seeing him in every circumstance of our lives. And thank him for it. Thank you. Thank him for his presence right here in my circumstance right now. The circumstances stink. No question about it. But thank you for your presence in the middle of it because you're doing something in my heart. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. You know what? Have you ever prayed uh, effective, uh, uh, fervent prayers for something and it, it hasn't come to pass? That's not what prayer accomplishes. It doesn't accomplish like a genie whatever you want. It accomplishes something in your heart through the process of praying. In the same way, the circumstances might not change, but God is going to enable us to see him in the circumstance and worship him anyway. Like being in a lion's den, for instance. So we might need to look around a little bit to see Jesus, much like Peter did. He didn't, write, he didn't see Jesus at first. We've got, uh, uh, we've got Mary at the tomb, didn't recognize Jesus. We've got the disciples after the resurrection, they didn't recognize Jesus. We've got a couple disciples on the road to Emmaus, they didn't recognize Jesus. In all cases, it took them a little bit to realize he's here with us. He's here right now. And the result is that seeing Jesus in the circumstance doesn't change the circumstance, but it enables to, us to navigate it in a way that makes him famous. Another way to say that, the way the Bible says it, is to glorify God, to make him famous, and we have peace. You give him perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you, right in the middle of all the crap that I have to walk through, that I have to live through. And as we see him in everything, our peace and our trust grow, not just when the bottom falls out, but in all of life. And many years ago, I was in a uh, senior staff meeting. There were probably five of us there. Dave was there. And somebody asked, hey, to get started this morning, it was like an all-day thing. Hey, to get started this morning, uh, why don't you all go around and share what God's doing in your life? I thought, okay. Um, What's he doing in my life? I thought, well, we're senior staff. This ought, to be, this ought to be good. I mean, there ought to be some depth here. To, so I wonder what the heck I'm going to say because I got nothing. And people started talking, and it was like, man, yeah, that's good. Yeah. And something came to my mind, and it's the only thing I could, it was the dumbest thing I could possibly have thought of. And I said, I can't share this. This is just stupid, man. They're going to kick me out of here. And, and so I just said it anyway. I said, you know what? You guys know, they, they knew what was going on in our lives. We had some things going on for a while. And I said, um, now that we're a little bit on the backside of this or coming out of some of this stuff, I said, I find that I don't have anything real deep to share with you guys, but all I can think of is um, this last couple months, I can't quit thinking about Jesus. I, just, I can't quit thinking about Jesus, man. I mean, I'm not trying to either, but I can't quit thinking about when I wake up in the morning like he's there and when I wake if I wake up in the middle of the night 
it's like he's the, it's not like, he is the first thing on my mind. When somebody comes and there's a situation or whatever it might be, it's just like he is always there on my mind. And I can't quit thinking about Jesus. And I don't know what happened to our discussion after that. I don't know, whoever shared next, we went on about our business. Um, but I look back on that. That was years ago. I mean, years ago. And I think what happened was as a result of going through all those hard times, we had to purposefully, very purposefully say, God, we're holding on to you and we're not letting go. We are not letting go of you, Jesus. It just became a pattern so that now it was just natural. It's just natural for Jesus to be on our minds and our hearts all the time. Well, Peter got it exactly right at the end. I mean, Peter got it exactly right at the end. He saw Jesus in the circumstance, and he cried out just three very simple words. Very simple words. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And that's it. That's as complicated as Peter's prayer was. And in doing so, he went from this. He went from, Lord, if it's really you, to, Lord, it really is you. It really is you. As we close, uh, rather than say a final prayer, I'll just offer this short video uh, as our closing prayer. Take a look at this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. 